<laughs> Everybody good? Some are good. Glad you're in church today. Man, I love my church family. So glad to be. I just love being here. I love Sundays and love being with everybody and see, check in, see how everybody's doing. And just good to have you here with us. Starting a new series today called Love Handles. Um, honestly, as a pastor, I'm a little disappointed in my staff <laughs> because I, um, I don't step in very often to their job. I let them do their job, but I came up with what I felt was a very, very good graphic um, for this series. And uh, they just shot me down. They're like, uh, no. And I, I think they were way off base, and so I need your help and your input on it. Here's the one I came up with right here. Uh, Huh? That's pretty good, isn't it? No? Okay, that's why I'm not in charge of graphics at Core Church. <laughs> hey, we, uh, this series is not about those love handles. So uh, you can call some people that maybe weren't coming today because they've, they've got them, uh, and, and they were like, I- I'm not going. I'm not sitting there because I know he's going to be talking about, is this a swimsuit series? Is that what this is about? It's about getting our church in shape. We all just look terrible. We just got to work on ourselves. No, that's not what this series is about. Every year, I I like for us to come together and talk about who we are as a church, who we are, what we represent, and what we're all about. In fact, if you're brand new to Core Church, that orange brochure in the seat back tells you who we are. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about our core values, why we exist as a church, and our purpose, and our vision statement. Our vision is something we say every week at the end of our services, help me out with this, at the core of who we are is loving God and loving people. That's, that's what our purpose is. That's what our vision is. We exist, and if you ever wonder, what is life all about? Why am I on this planet? Here's why you're here. Two reasons. Love God and love people. Turn the person next to you and say, you're here to love God and love people. Now, that sounds great when we say it together on a, on a Sunday, but how do we live that out? So for the next few weeks, we're going to be putting some handles on this love so we know how to take it out into the world. We're going to be looking at the prophet Elijah. He's in the Old Testament. His story is uh, found in 1 Kings. You can begin to go there if you want. Elijah was a prophet. He was a preacher of his day. If you're not familiar what prophets are, basically God would speak to them. They would come to the people, and he would speak the word to them. And most of the time when the prophet showed up, the people weren't real excited to see him because they knew he was going to bring some word, and they were probably in disobedience. And this was no different in this situation here. Children of Israel had rebelled against God so much so that the king had actually set up idols to other gods. Even in the, even in the temple, they're worshiping other gods. God, God's like, I'm not going to have any of this. I am angry with my people, and therefore, it will not rain for three and a half years. So Elijah shows up, and he gives them people this word. Because of your disobedience, it will not rain for three and a half years. There's a severe drought. There's a severe famine. People are dying. There's no food. They, they, there's no water. They're struggling. And finally, after three and a half years, there's this big showdown. It happens on Mount Carmel. If you've been in church, you may know this story where they show up on this mountain, and they have a showdown between the prophets of Baal and God. And it's Elijah by himself, and he's against hundreds of prophets of Baal. And God sends fire from heaven to show he is the one true God. And the people of Israel, they repent. And when they repent, God relents, and he says, I'm going to send the rain. 
that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, they're in the Next Steps room after the service. Go back there. They'll get you one before you leave. It's right out there by the front doors. 1 Kings chapter 18, it's in the Old Testament. There's an Old Testament. There's a, a New Testament. If you've uh, got a smartphone, just go to corechurch.com on your smartphone, and you can download a Bible app there. I'm in the New Living Translation. We're going to start in verse 41. Then Elijah said this to Ahab. Ahab was the king. This is after the showdown and the repentance. Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. And then he said this to his servant, go out and look toward the sea. The servant went and looked, and then he returned to Elijah, and he said this, I, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go back and look, and finally the seventh time his servant told him, I, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. And then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds, a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Let's pray. God, your presence has been so strong already today, and, and I just thank you for that. And I pray in these moments that we have here that you would speak through your scripture to each of us. Uh, church, I want you to pray. You don't have to do it out loud, but just pray for the person around you, maybe left and right, front and behind. Just, God, speak to them this morning and pray for your own heart that you would be open to what God wants to say. And, and pray for me as your pastor that I, I'll be faithful and I'll speak what the Holy Spirit wants us to hear. And if you're ready... In Jesus' name, give me a big amen. amen. Okay, let's try that again. Let's go back here, rewind a little bit. And God, we just pray you're going to be here today. And if you're ready to hear from him, in Jesus' name, give me a big amen. amen. Okay, good. Now I'm ready. I, I do better. I've, I've coached you on this many times. I do better with feedback. I, and and the, the quieter you are, the longer I'm going to preach. <laughs> just warning you, if you're new, I will get ramped up until I hear some shouting. Amen. We all have fears, don't we? All of us have fears, different fears that we have, spiders, snakes, that's mine, snakes, uh, clowns, uh, you know, we, we all have different fears, something we fear. You ever notice that the thing that you fear, this is weird, the thing you fear, somebody else is completely not afraid of, like they just nothing to them whatsoever. Take heights, for instance. Anybody here afraid, how many of you are afraid of heights? Afraid of, be honest, come on, be, be real, okay, all right. How, how many of you uh, are, say, I'm not afraid of heights? Raise your hand. Okay, isn't that weird? Like, it's, it's like half and half almost. Like, half of us are afraid of heights. The other half is not afraid of heights. Well, we discovered this in our, in our family to be true. We went to Colorado on vacation, and we went up Pikes Peak, 14,000 feet. And we went to the top of the mountain. And when we are in the car, and if you've ever driven up a mountain that high before, they have these things called switchbacks. And you're just switching back and forth. And you're going at the high rate of speed of 10 miles an hour. Because if you don't go 10 miles an hour, you're going to fall off the edge of like a 15 to 2,000 foot drop. They have only a few guardrails. And it is very intimidating to those who are afraid of heights. Which is my lovely bride, Laura. Deathly afraid of heights. We're starting up these switchbacks. I look over. She's grabbed a blanket, and she's pulled it up over the top of her. And she's, I'm like, you're missing it, honey. Look at the beautiful view. She goes, it's fine from here. I'm good. In fact, at one point, she peeked, and she said, just let me out here. Just let me out. 
I'm like, I, we're halfway up. I can't just stop and let you out. Plus, this is like a 2,000-foot drop. Don't show me that. And she's just, she's just insane. We make it. I go, you got to go. You got to go to the top. And she made it to the top. And when she got to the top, we got in the gift shop, and they had this bumper sticker, which I thought was amazing. I survived the drive. Can we give her a hand for surviving the drive? I'm too cheap to buy it. I just took a picture of it. You know how I am. That's how I roll. So that's Laura. But then there's my son, Jeremiah. Uh, a lot of you know Jeremiah. He's my 17-year-old. He's the exact opposite of this. If there was a ledge, he found it. I, I was his photojournalist for the entire week, and he kept finding these ledges with like two to 3,000-foot drops. And I'm getting nervous as a dad. I'm like, I need to let him, you know, be wild at heart, be that crazy boy, and, you know, be his man, flex his muscles and all that, you know. But it's even making me a little bit nervous because he's always finding the, the ledge. And in fact, at one point, he sat up on, on a rock. He's like, hey, Dad, take my picture. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I said, let me get a better angle. I want to get, like, the cleft and stuff. And so I go around to the side to take a picture, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Come off the rock. <laughs> Come off the rock now. And, and I developed a rule for him, and it, and it was this, break an arm, don't lose a life. Break an arm, don't lose a life. In other words, whatever you're standing on, ask yourself, will I break my arm or will I lose my life? And so I said, come down, and then I snapped this picture. Here's the picture I snapped of him. This is at the top of Pike's Peak. That's like a 2,000-foot drop on the other side of that. No fear. No fear whatsoever. This same thing happens for us as followers of Jesus there's certain things that God wants us to do that just absolutely some of us are terrorized by and others do it effortlessly. For example, sharing our faith, witnessing, whatever you want to call it, evangelism, going out, inviting people to church. Some of you get those sweaty palms and you're like, I can't do that. Others do it effortlessly. I'm going to talk about that here in a couple of weeks and how God calls us to do that. The other one that I think is hard is praying. But not just praying, but praying for people. And not just praying for people, but praying out loud for people. In fact, when, when we think about that, I mean, right now, for some of you, you're like, did I come on this Sunday where they're going to make me pray out loud? You're just getting sweaty right now. You're just like, you, you just feel it right now, the nervousness within you. Yes, I want you to turn right now, if you would, to the person next to you and, and pray out loud for them. Nobody's moving. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm not going to make you do that. Now, some of you were like, oh, I'm, I'm in. Woo, hallelujah. Going to pray for somebody today. You just love that. Don't you just hate those people in a Christian sort of way? I mean, they just do it effortlessly, right? You're like, you, when it comes to praying, you get in this prayer circle with them, and they're like, we beseech the Almighty, Heavenly Father. Of all creation, blah, 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 blah. Almighty one in thy name we pray, amen. They're like a gymnast with a dismount. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. How did you do that? Effortless, but the rest of us, fear grips us. And fear grips us so much so that we give ourselves an out. We say stuff like this, hey, I'm going to be praying for you. Right? And that's the out we always give. Hey, I'm going to be praying for you. Then you see them next week and they're like, thank you so much for praying for me. Ah, yeah. You totally forgot. You know, you didn't pray for them. So you're like, um, yeah, yeah, no problem. Then you realize now i got to pray and repent for the lie I just told. 
As a church, we are committed in what is foundational to our church is prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of prayer to change the human life. We believe in the power of prayer to change our circumstances and our situation. We know that our help does come from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and only from him. So prayer is foundational to everything we do. We do nothing apart from prayer. And we also believe this, that we are called as followers of Jesus to pray for one another. The Apostle James, Jesus' half-brother, talks about this in James 5.16. He says, confess your sins to each other. And we're going to cover that on another day, not today. And he says this, and what? Let's say this together, church, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The, the what? The the what? The, the earnest prayer of a righteous person, and that means a, a follower of Jesus, has great power and produces wonderful rejo- results. James says we shouldn't just pray for each other, but we should pray earnestly for one another. So he's not just saying, hey, pray for one another. He's saying do it earnestly. This word earnestly, it means much, many, often, loud, long, lengthy. When was the last time that described your prayer for someone? If we're honest, does that even describe the prayers I pray for myself? Like, Brad, I don't even pray earnestly for myself, let alone someone else. So how how do we cross this great chasm where, where we have this incredible fear of prayer and praying out loud for one another to where James says, pray for each other earnestly? How do we cross this chasm? Here's our love handle for the week. I'd like for you to write this down. We're going to put it on the screen, and I want you to write this down this morning. Here it is. The more I love people, the more I will pray for people. And the more I pray for people, the more I will love people. Let's say that together. The more I love people, the more I will, and the more that I, I will. James tells us that Elijah Elijah was a man who prayed earnestly, who prayed like this. Look at verse 17. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed what? He prayed earnestly that no rain would fall. None fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. So the, the, the famine was over. And we see this story. We just read it in 1 Kings chapter 18. So let's go there, because I think this is where we find some answers about prayer about praying for one another, about praying earnestly for one another, and how can we get there? 1 Kings 18, 42. Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, and he did what? Let's say this part together. He did what? Bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. There's a severe drought. There's a severe famine in the land. People are dying, and Elijah sees this. And he climbs to the top of the mountain to intercede and to pray for the people and to pray for rain. Honestly, we don't have to look very far to see a drought. All around us, people are experiencing a drought. All around us, people are in need of prayer. And and I, I think people are are telling us their drought stories. I, I really do. I think they're telling us our, our drought stories, but, but too often we're not listening. Like I'm, a, I'm confessing as your pastor, I'm a terrible listener. I should be the best listener in the room, but I'm terrible at it. How many of you would admit that? You're a bad listener. Raise your hand. Okay, you're not the bad listeners. The ones who didn't raise their hands are the bad listeners because they're not even listening to me right now. What did he say? What, what did he say? 
Have you, ever, have you ever introduced yourself to somebody, they tell you their name, and then 10 seconds later you're like, what was their name? Bob, Billy, Braxton, oh, what was it? Ah, and, and you're, so you're not even listening to them at that point. You don't even know what they're saying because you're trying so hard to, to remember their name. Why? Because we're not listening to one another. We, we've got to learn to listen to one another. That's the first thing we've got to do. We've got to learn to listen to one another. We've got to learn to listen for the drought stories. We've got to learn to listen for the pain and for the struggle and to hear that in people and to put our eyes upon people where maybe sometimes they're not saying it, but you know from their body language when they tell you, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing good. And you know they're, they're not doing good. But we don't see that and we don't hear it because, because we're not listening. I'd like for you to write this down. The, the more I listen, the more I will pray. The more I pray, the more I will listen. The more I listen, the more I will pray. And the more I pray, the more I will listen. This is Elijah. Look at Not only did Elijah pray, but James says, that he prayed earnestly. In other words, he prayed with passion. This guy bowed low to the ground with his face between his knees. This is one flexible dude, okay? This is like the first reference to Christian yoga. This is amazing. I I can't even bow at an altar because I can't get back up again. Anybody feel my pain on that one? Can I get an amen? From my people, yeah. I mean, my, I played way too many basketball games in my day. I can't get up. I can't get down, so I guess I'm out. And the rest of you need to learn to pray. But I'm out because I can't bow with my face between my knees. So, so how can we have that kind of passion? And that's passion, isn't it? That he pray earnestly in that way? Is, is, that, is that possible? Paul gives us a, a, a look into this, and I think he tells us that it is possible. The Apostle Paul, let's go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul was one who started churches, the very first churches, and he wrote all these letters to the churches. And this is from a letter he wrote to the Christians in Rome, Romans 15.30. He says this, dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by what? By praying to God for me. By praying to God for me. Hang on a second here. Shouldn't Paul be praying for them? Doesn't that make more sense? Because Paul's the professional, right? I mean, Paul is saying, pray for me. Well, hang on, Paul, you got it backwards. You're the professional. You're supposed to be praying for them. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that the cop-out that we use as followers of Jesus? Well, I'm just not the professional. I wasn't highly trained to do that. I'm going to leave that up to the pastor or that prayer team thing they have at the end of the service. Those are the professionals. I will, I will leave it to them. But what Paul, Paul says is we are all called to pray for one another. Nobody gets an out. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to pray for people around you. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are called to pray for me. We're all called to pray for one another. That's what Paul is telling us here. I like Paul says this. He says, join in my struggle. Paul struggles? Paul? If Paul struggles, guess what? Everybody struggles. How many of you would admit that you struggle? 
Yeah. But let's do, let's do that again. How many of you admit you struggle? Now, keep your hand up. Now, look around. Look around the room. Keep your hands up. Would you have guessed that when you came into church today? When you saw everybody coming into the house of God, would you guess that today? I bet most of the time we don't notice the pain and the struggle that people are carrying with them. But if Paul struggles, I know I'm going to struggle. But Paul, I love he says, join me in my struggle. So we're we're to join with one another in our our struggle. I saw a picture uh, a couple of weeks ago of this uh, photographer. He took a picture of this eagle, and he would go out and he'd photograph eagles. And out of nowhere, when he takes this picture, this crow starts coming into the picture. And, and so he snaps this picture of this crow and this eagle flying together, which usually never happens. But then something really crazy happened. The crow landed on the back of the eagle, and he snapped this picture. I thought it was photoshopped. That's a legit picture. A crow landing, and, and he said that he rode on the back of this eagle for a while, and the eagle, you think the eagle would be like, whoa, dude, get off me. What are you thinking? You're nasty and stanky and gross. Get off me. Too many times we're like an eagle, and we love to soar alone, don't we? I'm big, bad, and beautiful. I don't need nobody. I got this one, Right? But what we need to do is learn to be a little more like that crow and say, I'm struggling. And I'm tired. Things aren't really going so well right now. Sure could use a prayer. And in that moment, as followers of Jesus, we have this opportunity to sweep in underneath somebody and say, you know what? Get on my back. Let me carry you. When you breathe a prayer over someone, when you stop and you verbalize your prayer over someone, that's what you're doing. You're joining with them in the struggle. When you say, I'll be praying for you, and that's a good thing. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be doing that in the secret, and, and we need to be doing that individually. On our, we got to do that, and we do that as a church. But I'm just telling you, if you really want to join in somebody's struggle with them, stop and pray with them. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And, and write this down. This is, this is so important. Admitting you struggle isn't admitting you're weak. It's admitting you're human. Admitting that you struggle isn't admitting that you're weak. It's admitting that you're human. That's what Paul's doing. Paul, in this moment, is just admitting his humanness. He's like, I'm not a superhuman. I know I'm like this super apostle, and I know that Jesus spoke to me, and I got knocked off my donkey and all that stuff, and I'm starting all these churches, and I look big and bad, and I wrote some really cool scriptures that y'all memorized and everything, but I'm telling you, I'm human just like you are. Elijah, the apostle James says that Elijah, and he says he's just as human as, as we are. This great prophet, mighty man of God, human. That's why Elijah climbed to the mountain. That's why he got on his knees, because he was admitting his humanness to God. That's what we've got to do for one another is admit our humanness. I want, us to, I want to practice this for just a minute. I want us to practice this. I want you to find, turn to three people, and I want you to say this. I'm human, 
and I need prayer. I'm human and I need prayer. Three people right now. I'm human and I need prayer. I'm human and I need prayer. What Paul tells us, listen, Paul tells us what drives us to pray earnestly for each other. Look at the, the next part of verse 30. He says this, do this, this is Paul talking, do this because of, and let's say this together, because of what? Your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that opens up our hearts and gives us the ability to love like Paul's talking about here. Like when you find yourself saying, man, that is just rough what you're going through. Or you're thinking to yourself, man, they are really struggling. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit prompting you to pray. He's prompting you in that moment to say, step out, open your mouth, verbalize, and invite my Holy Spirit into this conversation. Too many times we say this, Man I, that's, man, I just feel for you. That's, that's tough. Hey, I'm going to be praying for you. And, and you know, God's got your back. And, 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 and words of encouragement, absolutely important, absolutely critical. But when you pray, when you pray, you invite the Holy Spirit in. And now it's not your words. It's the Holy Spirit speaking. The Holy Spirit speaking through you. And there's something that happens in that that the Holy Spirit then hits that person and it gives them the strength and it gives them the courage and they sense the Holy Spirit in them. That's, that's the power of prayer. Because so many times we just, well, Brad, I, I, I don't know how to pray. I mean, I preach this great message and everything, Brad, but I'm just telling you, I'm out. I'm out. I don't pray. I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. I'm not qualified to do it. It's a cool sermon and everything, but I just ain't got it. That is the best place all of us could be. Because the one person who thinks that they do got it is the one person that don't got it. If you think, I got it, man. I know how to pray for people. I mean, you ought to hear me bring it. I'm going to be in the prayer hall of fame. I mean, I just gather around. Just gather around and soak in my greatness. Listen to my amazing prayer. Of course, when I'm in a prayer circle, Brad, everybody looks to me. Because I have the gift. No, you don't have the gift. You have pride. That's what you have. And God's not going to use that prayer because you're puffed up with pride and you're not speaking the words of the Holy Spirit. You're speaking your own words and your words have no power to heal or help anyone. God's words do. So the person who says, I don't know how to pray, I'm scared to death to pray, you're in the best position to be somebody who can pray. Because then God can use you. And when you begin to breathe that prayer out, it might be the most simplest. You might even stumble all over yourself, and you don't even know what you said. And, man, that was the worst prayer ever in the kingdom of God. Just forget that. I even prayed that prayer. <laughs> that was embarrassing. God says, no, no, no. You did that in a true spirit of humility. I'm going to use that prayer. And those are the prayers that God uses. I, I, I encourage you to do this. Practice prayer. Practice. What did the disciples said when they came to Jesus? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. If they didn't know how to pray, I know I don't know how to pray. I knew when I became a pastor, I better learn how to pray because people are going to expect that. I better learn how to pray because people, if I, if I stumble around and I don't know how to pray, I'm in serious trouble. I need to learn how to pray, and I pray that often. We gather every Wednesday night. We have a prayer gathering. That's a great place to practice prayer. We get in there, and we just pray together. You want to learn how to pray? Get around pray, people that pray. I've watched people who come to our Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night, we gather 6.30. We do individual prayer. 7 o'clock, we do just a, a prayer gathering. We have a program for our youth. We don't have... 
uh, child care for the regular every Wednesday program. But if you came into that environment, you don't have to pray out loud, but you can listen to people pray. And you can pick up on things, and you can learn from them and gain confidence in that and practice praying. Come to core community. We talked about that earlier. Come on a Wednesday night uh, on August the 12th. We're going to do core community. Guess what happens in that environment? We pray together. You can gather around people. You can hear others just like yourself that aren't the professionals, and they're praying. And you can pick up things from them. I have watched over the years people who would gather in a prayer gathering. I'm not making this up. I'm not kidding you. We'd be in a prayer gathering, and they would pray something like this. God, uh, we just are grateful that you're here tonight. Amen. And that was their prayer. To me, that was always one of the best prayers, because it was just a faith-filled step of faith. And I've watched people who pray like that, but then they begin to pray more and more and more and more, and it's it's like a baby learning to talk. Would you, would you chastise your child at six months old for not articulating the dictionary? No. Would you do that even to your three- or four-year-old? Don't we think baby talk is cute? But what does a baby do? Progresses, grows. How does that baby learn how to talk? From a mom and dad? Mainly from a mom and dad, but from others. Same thing is true in prayer. So I'd ask you this. You know the best place to practice prayer? In your home. Mom, dad, do you pray? Do you pray out loud? If you don't, you need to start. If you're a follower of Jesus and you don't pray out loud in your home, you need to start. Is there a compromise on that, Brad? Maybe I could maybe do it, maybe not. You need to do it. Praying out loud for your spouse, praying out loud for your children, your children praying for you. So my kids, you've heard me say this hundreds of times, I'll just say it again. My kids, every day, well not during the summer, they get a break during the summer because they sleep in and they stay up too late and they're off my schedule and so God forgive us, we don't do it during the summer. Uh, But when the school year rolls around, we get into a regular routine every morning. We're sitting at the table, read the word together, pray together. I pray for them, then they pray for me or vice versa. It's pretty cool. Every day. I got a 30-year-old and a 23-year-old long gone out of the home, but I look back, and guess what happened? Every day, I prayed for them, and every day, they prayed for me. Students, if you're in here, you're a high school student, you ought to be praying for your parents. Just freak them out. They walk in one day, hey, Dad, how you doing? Oh, man, I don't know. This has just been kind of a tough day. Let me pray for you, Dad. They're going to be like, what do you want? All right. What'd you do? What'd you do? Do I need to be praying for you? What'd you do? You totally freak them out. You ought to do that. You see your mom or your dad down and discouraged, pray for them. Guess what, students? Your mom and your dad, they struggle. They ain't got it all together. They ain't got everything all figured out. They're doing the best they know how to do, and they need your prayers. And you ought to be praying for them. Parents, your kids are getting ready to go back to school. It ain't no cakewalk. If you you got blinders on, you think, ah, they're going to be fine. They're going to get jacked up and messed up and hurt and wounded. And guess what? Even when you pray, sometimes pain comes into their life. And you got to be there for them. Dads, you got to lead the way. Okay? Dads, lead it. You you ought to make it happen today. Okay? And I'm not talking about, we're going to pray for the meal because the pastor told me I needed to pray. Father, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, bless this mess. Amen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about get with your kids, get with your spouse, whatever you got to do, and pray. Pray for them. It's so important that we verbalize that. Your kids say, well, I, I pray privately for my kids. I, I, I'm embarrassed to pray in front of my children. Good. 
God, I'm embarrassed. I don't even know what to say to my kids. I'm afraid if I pray, they're going to think I'm a fraud. They're going to think I don't know anything. Help me anyway. And go and pray out loud. Be one of the greatest things that you ever do for your children. So the more I love people, the more I will pray for people. The more I love my children, the more I'll pray for my children. The more I love my spouse, the more I'll pray for my spouse. The more that I love my church family, the more I'm going to pray for my church family. And the more that I pray, the more that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love. So Elijah, he didn't pray just one time. He kept sending the servant back out over and over again to look. And in verse 43, it tells us seven times. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Seven times. That's the definition of earnest right there. Much, many, often. That's a lot, isn't it? That is, that's crazy. The servant kept, servant kept going back and forth. So Elijah prays, servant goes out, and it's like, ain't, ain't nothing, Elijah. And he's like, all right, get down. We're going to pray again. Now go look again. Gosh, okay, and he goes, ain't no rain. Come back. Ain't no rain. I guess it ain't going to happen. Well, we're going to pray again. Seven times, over and over again. That's the definition of earnest prayer. That's the way we need to be praying for one another. Not just one time, but coming back over and over again. Oh, God didn't hear you? God didn't answer us. God always hears our prayer. That's a mis- I didn't misspoke that. God always hears our prayers. But you, you, you pray, and you say, nothing, no, guess what? We're going to pray again, and we're going to keep doing it over and over and over again. Get on my back. We're going to do this together. I'm not going to do it one time. I'm going to stay with Listen, this is why groups are so important. This is why being in a core group is so important. When you're in a group of people that are surrounding you, like if you don't have anybody doing that in your life, get in a group. Get in a core group. That's where you find that. People who begin to pray for you and you begin to pray for them and you begin to pick up on those needs and then you text them or you call them during the week and then you see them the next week and say, how's that situation going? How's that, how's that going? Let's, let's, let's pray again for that. And I love this, verse 44, finally, finally, <laughs> That's a great word in Scripture. Finally, finally, the seventh time, a servant told him, I, I saw a little cloud. Prayer isn't a one-time thing. It's joining people in their struggle until a small cloud starts to form. Prayer is about releasing the Holy Spirit into somebody's life and giving them the faith to go look one more time. What you don't realize is who you're sitting next to. And they're sitting there, and you think they're doing okay, but they're really about to give up. They've really lost their faith, their, their hope. But when you step into their story and you, you pray for them, you give them the courage to stand up, take a step, and go out and look one more time. Imagine what will happen in our community, in our circle, we step out of our comfort zones, ignore fear, and say, we're going to pray for one another. Let me pray for you. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you so much for meeting with us today. follower of Jesus today if you're a follower of Jesus I want to ask you this 
Maybe today God's dealing with your heart. So Brad, I, I just I never pray out loud for people, or maybe when I do it, I'm just not very good at it, and I'm just scared to death. But I I want to start doing that, but I <laughs> I don't know how, and I but I want to. I want that I want that to be said about me. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Just in faith, raise your hand and say, I want to learn to pray for others. I want to do that. I see these hands everywhere, hands going up all over. I, I want to I be a man or a woman of faith that says, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to pray for people. God, help those who have that fear to overcome that fear and to know that your Holy Spirit is going to give them the power and the strength to do that. might not be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, but today you say, Brad, I, I want to follow him. God invites us into this relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, his son who died on a cross, was risen again on the third day. He says if we'll put our faith and our hope in him, if we'll confess our sin to him, he will come in and he will make us new. So today, maybe you want to make that commitment to him for the very first time. I've never made a commitment to follow Jesus, but today, I want to be a follower of Jesus. If this is what Jesus people are like, i got to be one. Or maybe, maybe you walked away from God. Maybe you walked away from him a long time ago and you said, Brad, I need to recommit my life to him. I've not been following him, and I need to recommit my life to him. Just make this your prayer. God, I know I'm a sinner. But I thank you so much for Jesus. And I'm asking you, would you take my sin away? Forgive me. I thank you, God, for the cross. I thank you for Jesus, that he paid the price for me. I no longer have to carry this shame. I no longer have to carry this sin. But God, you want to release it from me. Take it from me, God. Come into my life and make me new. I won't embarrass you. I won't point you out. But I do want to know who you are. If you made that your prayer today, all heads bowed, and you made that your prayer today, would you just slip up your hand? Today I made a commitment to follow Jesus, or I recommitted my life to follow Him. If that's you today, just raise your hand wherever you are. Thank you. God, thank you for these that have made commitments today, in Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a big hand clap for what He's done in our house today? So good. Yeah.